a listener production. Kickpod acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Yulikut Woolen Clan of the Boonwurrung, who are part of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the Kickpod, your d on the stuff that matters. But also the stuff that doesn't. Hello there. Hello there. Now, today, we have got Cass Dunn on the podcast. So Cass is a clinical and coaching psychologist, meditation teacher, podcaster and author. So Cass is the host of the listener podcast, Crappy to Happy. If you haven't listened to it, highly recommend. And today we are speaking to Cass about an issue that is so common, particularly for young females, our relationship with food, exercise, body image and emotional eating and how all of this affects our overall happiness and tools we can implement to shift our mindset in a positive way. So we hope you enjoy this conversation. Kastan, welcome to the Kickpod. We are so excited to have you on. It is such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I am. I've, I'm a huge fan of your podcast, Crappy to Happy, and I, I love. I love listening to it. And so, it's just so nice to Amazing. you know have this conversation with you and um, and to share some of your wisdom with our audience. And so today, what we wanted to focus on with you is something that you speak to so well and something that we feel our audience will really, really benefit from is around emotional eating. And you obviously are a clinical and coaching psychologist. And for us at Kick, we are all about kind of moving your body and and eating well and sleeping and and looking after our mental health for how it makes us feel, um, not how it makes us look and trying to Mm. really trying to redevelop the relationship that a lot of us have had with like for Steph and I, mm. um, personally, we, we've we now done a lot of work to improve that relationship with food and exercise, but with all the pressures from social media and, and just from toxic diet culture generally, it's a really hard relationship to rebuild or, or develop into a, into a more positive one. So we wanted to focus on that today with you. Um, and to start off with, are you able to explain how you define emotional eating? Yeah, well, I guess... It's exactly as it sounds right. And first of all, to pick up on what you said, Laura, like I have had my own really unhealthy relationship with food too. Like I've talked a lot about that in my podcast in the past. Like in my 20s, I had very disordered eating, not an eating disorder, but a very, you know, a lot of food restriction, really strict food rules. So I totally, totally get that I have lived experience of that. And I also have spent a lot of time unlearning those messages. But I guess emotional eating is any time that you're using food to somehow manage your emotions, right? It's, it's whether you are using food for comfort, for soothing, to suppress or push feelings down. But I also think, you know, sometimes we need to talk about emotional non-eating. Mm. Like sometimes mm. we, as a way to kind of regain some sense of control or feel better about ourselves, then we like, I won't eat anything today or I'll just eat like four strawberries today. So mm. I guess it's, it's the whole spectrum, isn't it, of just using food as a as an emotional coping strategy. It's so interesting because it's so easy to think of it as just that other side of the ladder, right? Overeating or indulging Overeating. in comfort foods. But you're so right. It can happen so differently for everyone. What's the psychology behind it? And, and why I feel like 
when I hear of people speaking about it, it's predominantly women. Is there something, is there a reason for that? Well, I think women are mostly the targets of diet culture and, mm. and body image pressures and, and that really unhealthy relationship with food. And there is definitely a link between diet mentality and emotional eating that's been shown in the research that a lot of food restriction can also create more of that emotional overeating, for example. Mm. I guess in terms of the, the psychology of it, we're talking about food now, mm. but anything that we do that causes us to immediately feel better, to escape something that feels unpleasant or uncomfortable, and sometimes it's food, and sometimes it's a glass of wine, and sometimes it's I'll just do some online shopping and get a new handbag and then I'll feel so much better. <laughs> and sometimes it's... You know, like yeah. it's sex or porn, like anything that we do to take ourselves out yeah. of that feeling of discomfort and we get that instant hit of now I feel better, like now I feel calmer, now I feel you know, happier. Our brain remembers that. Like our, our brain mm. is a habit-making machine. So then naturally the next time you are feeling a bit stressed or lonely or disappointed or sad or bored, then your brain remembers, oh, last time this is what I did and that felt better. And so before we know it, we're just in this kind of habit loop. The thing about food, I guess, is that we have to eat. Like you can't just like not eat. And the other thing about food is we always talk about, I remember going through a phase, like there was a period where we were always talking about, you know, eat for nutrition, you know, like eat for fuel. But food's not just fuel. Mm. Food is social connection. Mm. Food is celebration. Food is community. Like, so food is not just fuel. And I think we have to accept that as well because I think it's not helpful to necessarily just see food. Like, we're not robots. Mm. So that's not the only reason that we're going to eat. And so sometimes emotional eating isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm. It's only when I guess it starts spinning out of control, becoming, um, you know, when it's used as a tool to when you're actually avoiding dealing with things that you probably really need to look at in your life. Instead, if you're not getting to the deeper root cause of why you're feeling sad or unsatisfied or bored, you know, like if it's actually, it's a hindrance, I guess, like yeah. it's an obstacle to you just dealing with what those issues are that you need to look at. And I would say the same about anything that you're using mm. as a coping strategy food or otherwise. And I, I'm so glad you brought that up, Cass, because I was going to say there's some times mm. where I might, have, some days when I'm just so, maybe it is a coping mechanism for stress, but I am just so tired and I'm like, I just want to eat like hot chips or chocolate or, you know, all of those things. All the comfort food. <laughs> all the comfort food, exactly right. <laughs> Which obviously every now and then that is absolutely fine. At Kiki, yeah. We are all about balance and we do not believe in eating chicken and broccoli for your life because that would just be the saddest life of all time, right? <laughs> That's just not, it's not, not what we're about. You need, you need to have that balance, right? We have, we have chocolate every day, but obviously if for every single night for dinner you had chocolate and, and fried food, <laughs> you might not feel, you know, as good as, as you usually do and as good as your body can feel. Exactly. Um, and it's not really looking after your body per se, but every now and then, of course, like balance is so important. I suppose for anyone listening that might think, oh, I wonder if this is something that I am doing, I feel like it is really hard to decipher between if it's just every now and then or if it's actually mm. something that someone should go see a psychologist about. So how, how do you, I suppose, is there a spectrum of it? Well, I think... 
I think, first of all, one thing that we haven't touched on either, and I think it's important to make the distinction between what we are talking about when we talk about emotional eating, yes. which is I'm bored, I'm lonely, I just had a bad breakup, I'm going to eat all the things, or I'm just, I just feel like eating the, the chips, you know, so binge eating. So mm. in my experience, I have had people come to me and say, I need some help with emotional eating, I'm a really bad emotional eater. And really when they describe what's going on, they're really talking much more about a binge eating issue, right? And it's on a spectrum, but one's at the other extreme end. So binge eating is eating like vast amounts of food, like way more than what you would normally eat in one kind of sitting, eating until you feel really uncomfortable, often done in secret, often done mindlessly, kind of out of control kind of eating versus I'm just going to sit on the couch, I'm just going to have this you know, Ben and Jerry's and, <laughs> you know, like, and then I'll feel better and then I'll go to bed. You know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. it's on a spectrum. When we talk about emotional eating being a problem, isn't it interesting that we consider the biggest problem to be the eating as opposed to the bigger problem yeah. being I'm unhappy in mm-hmm. some way. That's diet mentality in itself, isn't it? Like yeah. I'm eating too much of this food and therefore that's a problem instead of why am I eating this food and why am I feeling like that in the first place and then why am I punishing myself that way? I don't know. Like the emotional issue is I think the bigger issue to be addressed like as opposed to just this is bad because I could potentially put on weight because that's the problem. When people come and see somebody about emotional eating, they're worried that they're putting on weight. Mm. I'm eating all of this bad food instead of focusing on what's going on underneath that emotionally, like they're focusing on this is going to reflect in my dress size. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, yeah, right? Sitting here, especially when you started talking about the the difference between emotional eating, or not the difference, but I suppose the spectrum between emotional eating and binge eating. Um, I, I went through binge eating. was That was kind of my my horrible journey that I went through in my early 20s mm. that took years to unlearn a lot of those habits. And Along that journey, I've found it really hard to find the difference between the two because I think on my way out, there was times where I was emotionally eating and it would take me back to similar thought patterns or, you know, things that happened in my mind when I was going through binge eating and overeating almost every day. And so it was hard for me because it would would almost scare me out of it because I was like, well, I don't want to go back down that that path. And I think honestly what you said about food not really being the issue is so true because as soon as I started looking at food as not just fuel, like honestly just something to enjoy and a part of our everyday. And as Laura said, it's taken a long time, but we've both found really great relationships with food to the point now that when I do overeat, I do not feel guilty for what I've eaten or how much I've eaten. It's like a sign that there's something deeper going on. So I thought that was really interesting. I do agree. And that's, I think that's what we need for people to get to where it's not guilt about what I ate. It's more, oh, what's going on here? Like, Mm. what am I having a little bit more self-compassion, having a little bit more being gentle and curious with ourselves about what's going on there? Because at the end of the day, if you are eating excessively, that ice cream or those hot chips or whatever, they feel really good Mm. and soothing to a point. Yeah. And then you feel like shit. And so it's right. We all know that, right? And so it's actually not comfort eating beyond a certain point. And so instead of then going down that path of 
Because here's the other thing, like then obviously the very next thing is that we go down that path of self-punishment mm-hmm. and guilt. And why did I do that? And what's wrong with me? And then tomorrow I'll just eat nothing to make up for it. And, and I'm a hopeless person. I'm pathetic. And I'm way back to where I was before. And I thought I dealt with this. And, you know, and all of that negative self-talk. And if we could just stop all of that for a second and get curious about what's going on here with me, like what do I need? What do I actually really need mm. emotionally? What's, what's missing that's making, causing me to kind of reach for whatever it is? And I will say, for many people, it's food. But whatever the other compulsive yeah. thing mm. is that you're doing, can we get to what's really underneath that? Yeah, I think that's so important because I think it's, it's also, in a way, it's making sure that people, like everyone has their different vices and everything. And to a certain mm. extent, that's not such a bad thing. As you said, sometimes it's nice to have something like for laws when you know you've had a hard day or you're feeling like crap and you just can't be bothered cooking and you want you know, some hot chips and stuff that makes you feel good but as you said if you were to do that every night mm. because you were feeling that way it's like okay there's something a lot more underlining happening here and you probably would start to feel guilty for it and not because you look at food in that way but it's just that you wouldn't be feeling very good you wouldn't be feeling very, very energized and it's the same as if you are having a wine every night or anything like it, it's all kind of it comes down to how often it's happening and what's the bigger picture here? And I, and I like that message because I think every time you share laws that you are having a night like that, it kind of, for me, it makes sure that there might be a lot of community members who might have every now and again that happens to them and they may not feel guilty anymore for the one-off chance that it happens or the one-off time that they decide, you know what, I'm going to eat ice cream out of the tub tonight because I'm feeling like it. They don't feel so guilty for that moment because that's okay. It's just, it's not okay when it's happening a lot and you're made to feel super guilty about it. I feel like it's the feeling afterwards. And that's when I recognized that I was binge eating. It was because of almost amounts of depression that I was feeling at the end of the day because of the actions that I was taking every day. So I feel like it's, it's not the action itself. It's like the reason behind it, why or how it makes you feel. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And, you know, just on that too, like even when I was in clinical practice and people would come to me, people are very um, much interested in having a prescription. Like, is this bad? Is this better? Mm. Is this good or is this bad? Like, at what point is this a, a problem? And as a psychologist, people would say, you know, I do this and this and this and this and this is happening and that's happening and I do that and that. Is that a problem? Do I have a problem? And always as a psychologist, the response is, it's a problem if it's a problem for you. Mm. Yes, the DSM has got a tick box and all of that. But at the end of the day, is this causing problems with your mood, with how you function every day, with how you feel, with your relationships? Something is not a problem unless it is creating problems in your life and only you know that. So two different people can be doing the exact same behavior, but with a different motivation, with a different mindset, with a different mental state same behavior can be very different. And I often think too, I often say to people, particularly with things like alcohol and and food, you would say as well, but look to the compulsive nature of it. Like, does it feel compulsive? Are you in control of that or is it in control of you? And we all know deep down within ourselves where that line is. So rather than saying, is this much ice cream too much or if I ate that many cookies, like where's the line? When does this become a problem? Does it feel like it's a compulsive behavior for you that you're having difficulty managing? Like, is it feeling like it's spinning away from you a little bit? So I think those are really personal questions and it takes that self-reflection for people to be able to come to those conclusions themselves. (laughs) 
If someone has, I suppose, come, maybe listening and is thinking, oh, maybe it is, it's not, it's not about, as you said, it's not about the eating, it's actually there's something deeper. Obviously, the, the, the first recommendation would be if you're able to, to go and speak to a psychologist. But what are some of the tools that you work through and when you were practicing, what are the, like what are the things that you recommend people do if they're me- their mental tools? I'm guessing to kind of work mindfulness. through mindfulness. Yeah, mindfulness. <laughs> I'm all the mindfulness. Um, and you know, I know that everybody thinks that's just a buzzword, but when we talk about being mindful, it really is about that reconnecting, like being present enough in the moment and aware enough in the moment to recognize what is happening right now not just like what's happening outside of me and what is that bringing up within me? What is my mental state? What are the things I'm telling myself? How's my mood? How am I feeling? I'm a bit on edge. Am I calm, relaxed? Like really checking in with how am I feeling right now and being able to just in a moment, because so much of what we do, particularly when we're busy and we're stressed and we do all of these things compulsively. And like I said, at the beginnings, Things become very habitual and before we know it, our brain's just running the program before we've even stopped to think about it. So the more that we can slow that down, I know you guys are all over this, like, like the more that you can slow that down and actually pause and get present to what's happening because you might still choose to have the ice cream and that's okay. But the better chance you've got of just giving yourself a second to, to rethink if that's really the best option right now, to ask yourself like what is going on at the moment, like what do I really need right now and to potentially make a different choice. I think mindfulness also and self-compassion, um, mindfulness and self-compassion, I just sing those like everywhere I go. So that being able to be kind to yourself, particularly the power of self-compassion is in the moments when you feel like you fucked up, mm. like when you feel like you've let yourself down, you've let somebody else down, you're feeling like a failure, you're feeling like you're just down on yourself, self-critical, the self-judgment comes in, the guilt comes in. And those are the moments when if you can pause enough and get present enough and offer yourself just some kindness, just remind yourself that, you know, everybody's felt like this at times. We all have these moments and that's okay. And again, what can I do for myself right now that would feel nurturing and would feel comforting? And what would I say to my friend right now what I say to somebody else in the same situation is me is what I meant. So mindfulness and self-compassion are really, are really big. The other thing that I've just recently been really um, interested in and talking about a lot is tapping. You know, EFT tapping. Are you familiar? No. You know, the whole tap. No. Oh, we should do a session. We should do a whole episode on that. EFT tapping, this tapping on your. Um, oh, I've seen it. Your, I didn't ever know what it was yeah, called. Right. So oh, it's tapping EFT on your tapping. head. With your fingers. It's, <laughs> it's a it? podcast that people can't see us. We're all tapping Pressure our face. points, isn't it, or something? Yeah, it's, there's, a, there's a eight different points sort of mm. on your face and upper body, like collarbone and um, top of your head. But clinical trials have proved, you know, are really supportive of tapping as a way of clearing emotional blocks, of working with, like, it, particularly if you're having quite an atten- intense emotional experience. I find if I'm feeling really worked up and I do some tapping, it really just helps to bring me back um, straight away. I used to always say, is it, a, is it really just mindfulness? It actually turns out that there is some direct link to the amygdala in the brain. It actually shrinks, like it actually reduces activity in that fight or flight center Amazing. in your brain. And it's also been proven, one of the biggest studies by Peter Stapleton was actually in the area of food cravings. 
So she showed physical, like neurological changes in people's brains when they were taught to tap to manage food cravings for people who really were having problems with so excessive eating. That's an interesting thing. But it's but fundamentally it's function. It is actually like a stress management tool. It's actually to help you to manage emotions and actually sort of clear them in a way, like from out of your system. And it's not just woo-woo, it's actually science. So those are all um, fairly helpful tools. I think I think that's so helpful. And I think too what I what I really loved about what you, what you just said, Cass, is it's not because sometimes I think when we think of how do we work through things when we are in a really mm. dark place or in a hard place that we feel when our emotions are not at their peak or, I mean, obviously when we're not always happy, but when they're not as they normally are, it feels very scary to try and get out of it because it's kind of like you take for granted not feeling that way. And then when you do, it's like, oh my goodness, how, how do I deal with this? And so I think what I really loved about what you just said is a lot of it are the things that, you know, if, if anyone's listening right now and they are struggling with this, mindfulness is obviously it's not easy, but it's something that we all have tools to be able to do within ourselves and at home. And it's not super, a really, really complicated scientific, you know, right. thing or, or test or anything that you have to do. It, it comes down to, you know, it, it's often, it, it's so interesting when it comes to health. It's often when you, mental health, especially when you strip it back to basics, we have all the tools yeah. that we need. We just need to practice them. And obviously, I'm not. When I say this, I know it's it is really, really hard. Um, but it's it, mindfulness is is truly so powerful. It really is. I think it's been so over hyped that many people dismiss it now. But it really is. It's like you said, Laura. It's simple, but it's not easy. Like it's not always easy. But the more, it's like any skill, the more you practice it, then the more it's available to you, the more that you find that you just naturally go to that. Um, but it does, it does take practice. So I obviously teach mindfulness um, and meditation as well and have for many years. So I am very familiar with people saying, oh, I can't do that. I can't meditate. Like I can't, my brain's too busy. I've heard it all. But I just really encourage people to just, you know, try and find ways to incorporate more mindfulness into day-to-day life. And it's really helpful for food and eating as well, like eating and being more present when you eat, eating and checking in with your body. Do I feel satisfied? Actually checking in with yourself. How is this feeling right now? Am I just, am I actually even paying attention? Like we taste the first bite and then we don't. Like then the rest of the meal disappears before we know it. we look down and it's finished and we don't even remember the rest of it. You know, we're so disconnected. This is the thing I love about mindfulness. We're so disconnected from ourselves. Like we're just not tuned in to how we're feeling, what we're doing. We're up in our heads, busy, 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 running and doing all of the things. And of course we are because we're busy and, you know, mm. you took, you're running a business and you've got a baby and you, you got, you know, like it's a thousand things. And so everybody's got all of the stuff that they're doing, but mindfulness doesn't mean that you necessarily have to slow down. It just means to try to be a bit more present more mm. of the time, even if it's just little moments through the day that you stop and you check in with, how am I right now? How am I feeling? How's my body? Am I feeling a bit tense and uptight? Because mm. the more that you can check in, the more often, and where am I at right now? Do I just need to go and walk outside and you know get some fresh air and sunshine for just two minutes before I go back in to the face that day? The less likely you are to get to the end of the day 
and be feeling so strung out that you're just mindlessly reaching for the comfort food. Yeah. Mm. You know, like because you're doing that sort of emotional hygiene throughout the day, just checking in with yourself and just keeping things sort of at a on an even keel. I talk about the window of tolerance a lot, which is, again, that could be a whole other conversation, but, you know, like we function at our best if we can stay within our window of tolerance, which is that zone of arousal where you can be stressed, but you're not so stressed mm. that you're sort of, um, you know, you're going into that sort of hyper fight or flight kind of response, which is where you're just frenetic and blah, blah. You know, but if you can just keep on checking in throughout the day and making sure that you're coming back into that window where things are calm, relaxed, your mood's good, you can think clearly, perspective, humour, you know, but when you start noticing that you're losing those things, um, you know, tipping towards the edge of the window, then being able to come back in is a really useful thing to be able to do. Thank you. I I love that. That's, um, yeah, we, we all can be, we can always be more mindful. And I think it's just something that we need to continually remind mm. ourselves and continue to talk about. So Cass, thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a joy to connect with you and chat. And, and thank you for sharing all of, all of your wisdom with our community. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode, guys. I hope you got a lot out of it. If you enjoyed learning more about this and this this particular topic, particularly when it comes to emotional eating or even binge eating, and you're looking to be more mindful um, or intuitive with your eating, we had a really incredible chat with our peak resident dietitian, Liv Morrison. It's episode 133. We'll put a link in our show notes so you can easily access it. But it was a really great chat about how to build a positive mindset and relationship with food and even tips on how to overcome food guilt. So if you enjoyed this podcast, we highly recommend going back and listening to that. We'll be back in your ears very soon, but if you'd like to hear or see more of Kick, you can learn more about the Kick app via our website, keepitcleaner.com, or you can download the app from the Apple Store or Google Play Store, and we have a seven-day free trial for you to enjoy. And we're also on Instagram at keepitcleaner, at laura.henshaw and at Smith, and we're over on TikTok at Kick. We will chat to you guys soon.